Hello and welcome to the Pediatric Anesthesia Journal's Featured Article of the Month podcast for February 2022. These monthly podcasts are published on the journal's website and you can also subscribe to them via iTunes, Google, Podbean, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Dr. Nilru Vithurana and I'm a paediatric anaesthetist based at the Children's Hospital Westmead in Sydney, Australia. For those of you who are regular listeners, I will be a new voice and I'm delighted to join the podcasting team. This month's featured article is entitled The New European Resuscitation Council Guidelines for Paediatric Life Support and Their Implications for Paediatric Anesthesia. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome the first author, Dr. Maria Louise Baus. Dr. Baus is a consultant paediatric anesthesiologist at Juliana Children's Hospital at The Hague in the Netherlands. Welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for joining me today. Firstly, what were the aims of your paper? Uh, thank you uh, first uh, very much for having me. Um, uh, Nigel Turner, my uh, co-author, he was invited by Pediatric Anesthesia to write an educational review about the major changes on, in the European Resuscitation Council guideline for pediatric life support, um, uh, since he's one of the authors of this guideline. And um, he invited me to co-write the article. Um, and we wanted to write an article which is easy to read and summarizes the main changes and uh, relevant for pediatric anesthesiologists, and also briefly mention some of the evidence about, uh, behind the changes. Um, and furthermore, we wanted to make an article uh, appealing um, uh, to read by using a fictitious case to introduce some of these changes. Um, and uh, also we want to add something to give, give it something extra um, so we uh, gave a summary of the incidents, causes, challenges, treatments, and prognosis of pediatric cardiac arrest in the operating room. And um, yeah, about uh, the ERC guideline itself, um, this guideline was produced in 2021 in association with the uh, International Liaison Committee on Resuscitation. Uh, it's shortly known as ILCOR. Um, and um, it was a collaboration and also then extra um, uh, review of topics not covered by the ILCOR. Um, and this ILCOR is um, um, a worldwide organization um, with members um, of, uh, uh, with all, yeah, all members worldwide who create resuscitation guidelines for countries or continents uh, which they represent. Um, so this guideline, um, is um, a result of that. Excellent. So if we look at airway and breathing, what are the, some of the major changes and key concepts in the new guidelines? Um, for uh, airway and breathing, uh, first of all, um, there's more restraint uh, advised uh, regarding to oxygen therapy in the critically ill or injured ch children and post-resuscitation. Um, the current advice uh, is to titrate oxygen therapy to a saturation of 94, 98%. Um, and exceptions to this advice include children with signs of actual or impending circulatory or respiratory failure, um, or the impossibility to measure uh, the saturation accurately, or in specific conditions, of course, in which a higher target uh, saturation is required. For example, some children with heart disease um, second, um, for the non-experts, more emphasis is placed on a two-person technique um, when using the back mask uh, ventilation 
and early use of laryngeal mask. And uh, third, uh, the ventilation strategy has changed after intubation during the cardiopulmonary arrest. Uh, previously, it was advised to use 10 breaths per minute, which is sub-physiological. And the current advice is to provide ventilation rate depending on the age of the child. If the child is um, an infant, so less than one year, it's uh, 25 breaths per minute and it decreases until it gets older, until 10 breaths per minute. Okay. And how about circulation and defibrillation? What's changed there? Um, first of all, uh, circulation, uh, two things have changed. Um, first, the limit of each fluid bolus has reduced to 10 milliliters per kilogram instead of 20 milliliters per kilogram. And the purpose is to reassess more frequently after each bolus to reduce the risk of fluid overload. And second, phasoactive drugs, uh, preferably noradrenaline or adrenaline, should be started early in distributive shock, especially in sepsis. And regarding uh, defibrillation, there are also two major changes. Um, the first one is the introduction of stacked shocks in children. With adults, it was already a known concept, but with children, it's uh, introduced now. It means that if a child is attached to a monitor and a defibrillator is immediately ready for use, three consecutive shocks can be delivered and only briefly assessing the rhythm after each attempt. And if uh, three shocks are needed, um, and uh, of course, immediately CPR should then be uh, started. And then the first dose of amiodarone uh, should be given after this third shock. Um, and a second change regarding defibrillation is the energy dose in case of refractory ventricular fibrillation or pulseless ventricular tachycardia. If more than five shocks are needed, escalating doses up to eight joule per kilogram instead of the four joule per kilogram can be used. And are there any other major key concepts that have been updated in these guidelines? Yeah, um, we've actually highlighted a few more um, uh, things. Um, first of all, um, age-based formulas are no longer recommended because um, uh, it uh, turns out they're very inaccurate. So the current advice is or to weigh the child, or if that's not uh, a possibility, uh, ask the parents or use a length-based system, uh, preferably including uh, correction for body habitus. Um, second, uh, new in this guideline is the advice to give uh, tranexamic acid in severe trauma or hemorrhage requiring transfusion as soon as possible, but at least within the first three hours. And the use of tranexamic, uh, it's always a word I'm struggling, struggling with, um, tranexamic acid in children is already widespread in practice, but it hasn't been in the guideline. Um, and um, third, in line with adult guidelines, uh, the preferred site for needle decompression of attention uh, prematorix is the fourth or fifth intercostal space, slightly anterior to the mid-axillary line. And the anterior side just below the clavicle remains an acceptable alternative. Um, fourth, in um, the acronym 4H4T, for reversible causes of uh, cardiac arrest, Hyperthermia and hypoglycemia are added and acidosis has been deleted. Of course, hyperthermia and hypoglycemia are very rare causes, but especially uh, in uh, anesthesia, uh, we know the malignant hyperthermia, which can be uh, lethal. 
Um, and finally, um, one major last um, change regards the thorax compressions. Uh, the recommendation um, in infants, so less than one year, is to only use the two thumb encircling technique with two thumbs on top of each other uh, instead of two fingers side by side. One thing that I really loved about this paper is that case study that you used to introduce the paper, which is a very real and almost likely sort of situation where anyone can find themselves in potentially. And then you have this lovely section about resuscitation in the operating room. So often it's hard to read guidelines such as these and apply them to our operating theatre environment as anaesthetists. What factors in our theatre environment make recognition and management of cardiac arrest in the operating theatre challenging? Thank you so much for uh, uh, loving this, uh, this paper. We really aim to produce an article uh, which is easy to read and apply in our daily work. Um, if we look at a, a recognition of cardiac arrest in the OR, of course, if um, a child is on a monitor and you see ventricular fibrillation or another um, rhythm change, it's easy detectable. Um, but sometimes it can be really uh, challenging um, uh, if um, uh, to recognize pulseless electrical activity following a period of progressive shock. Um, mainly because the, the cardinal feature of cardiac arrest uh, the loss of consciousness and abnormal breathing often cannot be used. Um, also, sometimes we have a lot of um, bleeps and a lot of monitors um, uh, around us. And sometimes abnormal monitored circulatory parameters are attributed to malfunction. And a decision to start thorax compressions can be really difficult, uh, resulting in a delay. So the advice is if a child is um, in a, a very a low perfusion state um, to um, uh, very readily start thorax compressions. Um, other difficulties in the operating room, uh, which can also complicate uh, the treatment of cardiac arrest in the operating room, uh, include apparatus uh, malfunction or subcutaneous um, extrusion of venous lines under the surgical drapes or inadequate interprofessional communication. And finally, um, sometimes we can have the whole team focus on one specific task, for example, difficult intubation or dislodged intravenous axis, which reduces the collective situational awareness. And uh, training of the surgical and anesthetic staff together with attention to um, uh, some following points, uh, this might improve the timely response to cardiac arrest. For, uh, firstly, always maintaining global situational awareness at all times. If one team member is focused on a single intervention, um, another should specifically be assigned to keep this overview. And second, uh, when suspecting a monitor malfunction, it's important to assume first real hazardous situations before ascribing the data to a malfunction. And I know we all do this, it's very common. Uh, thirdly, keeping an open communication with the entire operating team, it helps to prevent and detect problems early and finally, getting help early and the use of emergency algorithms and protocol always nearby. And when it comes to applying these guidelines in the operating theatre arrests, can you comment on specific operating theatre treatments or e how eCPR fits into the picture? Um, yeah, in case of cardiac arrest in the operating room, it's really important to follow universal paediatric resuscitation algorithms, uh, modified where necessary for specific settings such after uh, cardiothoracic surgery. 
and a strong focus should be placed on common reversible causes, especially hypoxia, hypovolemia, um, for example, the bleeding or anaphylaxis, um, attention pneumothorax, uh, anaphylaxis, uh, as I mentioned earlier, and thrombosis, as well as really specific um, causes to the operating room, such as gas embolism, malignant hypothermia, cardiovascular collapse as a complication of axial nerve block or a local anesthetic overdose. And each of these causes should have their own protocol, which preferably uh, would be uh, available very quickly in every operating room in both physical, uh, like a book uh, form or ele electronical form, alongside the standard resuscitation algorithm. And regarding eCPR, um, yeah, depending on the underlying reversible cause, eCPR will be more and more applied in centers where it is immediately available in children who do not respond to conventional resuscitation. And um, this might alter um, some uh, which we thought are irreversible causes. Uh, yeah, it could in the, in the future um, alter our concept of what's reversible and what's not reversible. And can you comment on the use of intra-arrest parameters to guide CPR? Yeah, um, if you read the guideline, um, uh, they state that for experienced healthcare providers, uh, detection of circulation and the uh, signs of life during a pulse check could also include other intra-arrest uh, parameters if possible, such as entitled CO2, uh, blood pressure, oxygen saturation, or ultrasound. Um, but if you look at everything uh, specifically, um, the uh, evidence is really low, uh, especially in children. Um, and for example, for entitled um, uh, CO2, the, um, um, the evidence is too low to make any recommendations for or against the use of entitled um, CO2. And more specifically, there's not a single value that we can use to guide or terminate the CPR. For blood pressure, they advise that only for children uh, who are um, with an in-hospital cardiac arrest, where there's an arterial line already in place, um, then the hemodynamic direction of the CPR might be considered. And for ultrasound imaging, the guideline mainly advises point of care ultrasound by competent providers to identify reversible causes and other applications should only be in the context of research. Finally, what are the five top messages of the 2021 European guidelines? Yeah, so this is um, uh, the, the top five messages uh, which are stated in the European guidelines itself. Um, so they give five points. Um, the first one is to use ABCDE as a common language. Um, the second one is to titrate oxygen to saturation of 94 to 98%, only if impossible to measure saturation start high flow oxygen based on signs of circulatory or respiratory failure. Um, third, in shock, give one or more fluid boluses of 10 milliliter per kilogram of preferably balanced crystalloids or blood products and reassess after each bolus and start vasoactive drugs early. And the fourth is for basic life support, use a specific pediatric basic life support algorithm which means that you use 15 um, torx compressions alternated with two ventilations. And um, emphasis should be on both providing a quality of CPR and limiting hands-off time. And it's, these are considered crucial. 
and consider providing um, or consider uh, provider safety. And last, uh, for advanced life support, use a specific pediatric advanced life support algorithm, actively search, search for and treat reversible causes, use a two-person back mask ventilation as a first-line uh, ventilatory support, uh, and only if intubated, provide asynchronous uh, ventilation at an age-dependent rate, so 10 to 25 ventilations per minute. Thank you for that. And I believe your co-author, Dr. Turner, has another paper based on the European guidelines coming out. Would you like to comment on that? Yeah, actually, um, um, uh, me, um, Nigel Turner and uh, Marije Hogeveen, which is a neonatologist, also um, were asked to um, uh, make sort of the same article we wrote this time. Also very easy to read uh, article about the major uh, changes, but then uh, for the European Resuscitation Council guideline on uh, newborn resuscitation and support of transition of infants at birth. Um, and it will be on it today or in the next days it will be published on the, um, the World Wide Web. Fantastic. Well, that's a great summary of the new guidelines and thank you so much for joining me. Um, I think it's a really helpful paper that your team has done and the way that you've translated the new guidelines to our intraoperative practice is really useful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Maria. This wraps up our featured article of the month podcast for February 2022. This article will be available for free on the journal's website soon. Follow us on Twitter at PD Anesthesia. Please join us for next month's featured article of the month podcast. Until then, cheers. <laughs>